Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Well, it's good to see my pastor in passing there. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this, this morning? Can we just remain standing for a couple of minutes? Good to see so many familiar faces as well as many new ones. You are in revival, and it's a blessing to be with you. And welcome also to those of you watching online. Um, We pray that you're blessed as you're joining us from all around the world. And again, it's just an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. I want to minister a simple message, and I just want to challenge you and give you spirit-led wisdom on how to prepare for your calling. And when I talk about preparing for your calling, I don't just mean the practical elements of that in that we prepare our schedules and we prepare our skill sets and so forth. But I'm talking about becoming an individual who finds it really difficult to miss the call of God. Many people think that in order to fulfill the call of God, What they need are a specific set of instructions here and now that lay out a very clear path for every year ahead. You want to know what's going to happen in year one, two, three, all the way to 20 and 30. And then as the Lord gives those specific instructions that he'll give you all of the resources, all of the gifts, all of the connections that you'll possibly need to fulfill all of those things that he's instructed you to fulfill. But that's not it at all. In fact... Most of the time, I'm wondering, Lord, what are you doing? Because it's a simple formula, if you can even call it that. Two words. Say it with me. Trust and obey. That's it. Trust and obey. There's actually a classic song that goes something to that effect, that the only way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. And this simplicity... This focused way of living really liberates you from some of the burdens that you really shouldn't even be bearing in the first place. Because I think that we can become overwhelmed when we begin to look ahead and see in our mind what we believe God has called us to do. And we see an end result. We see a finished work. We see a byproduct, if you will, of all of those years that we know will be serving the Lord. And there's this great pressure to try to immediately step into that. And the reality is that what God is showing you in your future is by design meant to call you into higher places in your character. Because if you were to step into today what God's destined for you a decade from now, it would crush you. If you want the pressure upon you to be sustainable then the power and the character within you has to be built on a solid foundation. And many are building on a foundation where there are cracks in the foundation. Air pockets in the concrete, if you will. Where the foundation is built on a shifting sand and there there are character flaws. There are bits of unforgiveness. There are bits of the flesh, areas of stubbornness. And we all have them. I'm not standing up here as someone who imagines themselves to have been perfected. I'm standing here as someone who's saying, I too am a work in progress. And every day I read the scripture, I'm constantly pleading with the Lord to make me more like what I see in the Bible. 
Because as I'm reading, I'm going, there are so many ways I'm not like Jesus. <laughs> like a long list. Like if I had a list, it would be a scroll that would go down the aisle. And if my wife was here, she'd say, amen. <laughs> no, she's gracious and she's very patient and kind. She sees no, love, love believes all things. <laughs> so she'll be here at the 11 o'clock um, with my aria. So they'll be here a little bit later. I, I wanted them to stay and get some rest. And also, you know, let me use the restroom to get ready in the morning. So, <laughs> But all of us have issues within us that the Lord really is working with us on. And if you're not careful, you can fall into one of two extremes. One extreme being that you're so overwhelmed by those issues that you just don't do anything for him at all because you imagine there's no possible way he wants to use you right where you are. And then there are some who are like, well, the grace of God will take care of it, all the while neglecting the reality of spiritual discipline. And so we want to avoid both extremes. We don't want to become complacent. We do not want to live in complacency, nor do we want to live in condemnation. We want to live by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is constantly calling us to higher places. And as you become someone who is like Jesus, as your character begins to form, as you allow him to mold you, as the scripture says, you are the potter, I'm the clay. In other words, your hand is going to shape me any way you want me to be. And often we try to hang on to certain things. And sometimes it's out of ego. Sometimes it's to protect ourselves. Sometimes it's out of the cravings of the flesh that we resist the molding of the Father's hand. But He wants to do something in you. And He is perfecting you. The question is, are you fighting the potter's hand? Are you saying to him, Lord, you can mold this area of my life and that area of my life, but that part, you can't have it. And, and, and again, we attach our identity to certain areas of who we are. And we say, well, that's who I am, not realizing that's the very thing God wants to mold. And not so much change your personality. Again, I'm talking about character. Now, you become that individual, and it's like a magnet for your calling. So many, when they look at their calling, they're focused on doing, 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 accomplishing, accomplishing, accomplishing. They look at it as a series of tasks that they absolutely cannot miss. And they fear that if they miss one task or maybe do one thing in a way that was off schedule or off God's timing, that they're going to derail the entire plan of God. I promise you, you're not that powerful. I promise you, you're not that strong. I promise you, your decisions are not that effective. Yes, we ought to cooperate with God. But think of Jonah. He ran from God and still eventually fulfilled the calling. Why? Because God is too merciful to leave you to your own stubbornness. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop being stubborn. <laughs> Type it in the comment section. Stop being stubborn. Some of you who are stubborn didn't even look. You just... Nope, nope. <laughs> but as you begin to transform and change, and you're, you're conforming now to the image of Christ, who you are will automatically attract what you are to do. 
who you become pulls on the opportunities God has destined for you. I've spoken to many evangelists. Now, let me just say this so you don't misunderstand where I'm coming from. This isn't a message for just people who want to do pulpit ministry. That's, that's a very small percentage of the ministry that's actually fulfilled in the kingdom of God at large. Okay, So I'm talking to every believer, every destiny, every calling. But in my specific calling, I see these principles play out in certain ways. And so by way of analogy, I can say that I've spoken to many evangelists, for example, who are struggling financially. And they come, you know, handouts. I need, I need, I need, I need. And this is somewhat a callback to me to a documentary I watched. And I think I shared this with you, Pastor Isaac, once before. It was about a homeless man who they gifted $100,000 to. And so they put it, the way they did it is they put a briefcase with $100,000 cash inside of um, a dumpster. So they're filming this man. They did, he didn't know they planted it. The documentary crew planted it. He's rummaging through the garbage, pulls out a briefcase of $100,000, opens it. His first response is, this can't be good. That's what he said. He opens it. He goes, this can't be good. And, and the, what they were questioning was, what would happen if you were to give life-changing money to someone in that situation? They give him all of the resources he needed. Within six months, he was back on the streets. Not a penny to his name. Because who he was wasn't capable of handling what was given to him or sustaining it. I'll put it to you this way. The way you're living your life right now, every decision, every attitude, every area of stubbornness, every area of compromise, everything about you is perfectly fine-tuned to get the results you're getting in life right now. Some of you are going, I don't like that one bit. We can blame others around us. We can blame circumstances. We can blame things that happened in our past. Or we can take up the responsibility of walking in the destiny that God has given us to walk in. It's a partnership between man and God. Now, God could at any moment do whatever he wants to do in anyone's life, and he doesn't have to ask anyone's permission. He's God. Look what he did to Saul. Turn him into Paul. Nope, get off your horse. I'm making you an apostle. But generally speaking, as you look through the scripture, you'll see that there is a dynamic of partnership between God and man. And it's not that God has to do it that way. It's that he chose to do it that way. Why? Because it does something in you. And so evangelists will come to me saying, you know, we, we need support. We need support. We need support. And we'll, we'll help them, of course. But, but often I, one of the pieces of advice I give them, and this is just specifically in the area of finances. It's just an analogy to demonstrate the principle. I'll tell them, okay, you can keep doing this or you can get organized and disciplined with your finances and God will begin to bless it. 
People say this about ministry all the time. Well, why am I not seeing fruitfulness? Why am I not seeing growth? Why am I not being given opportunities? My friend, it's who you are. Who you are and who you become attracts what's coming to you. Now, I'm not talking about this in the New Age sense. That's garbage and that's nonsense. This idea of manifestation. You think it and it happens. No, 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 no. That's laziness. <laughs> that's just laziness. You can't just sit there and think it and it will happen. No. The scripture talks about the fact that your, your, the work of your hands, God will bless. Not just your hands. It says he'll bless the work of your hands. And so um, I'll give you some bits of wisdom here. I'm just kind of introducing the message. I promise you that's not indicative of how long I'll go, but um, we'll, we'll begin here. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I want to show you something. Acts 4, 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. My question to you right now is, and I want you to think about this and answer it internally, honestly, is can people tell that you have been with Jesus? Do, do, do you stand out as... Someone who has spent time in the presence of the Lord. And of course, we can get snarky about it. Well, God is everywhere at all times. So of course, I'm constantly spending time in the presence of the Lord. But there's a very big difference between the omnipresence of God and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, if that's the case, the unbeliever spends time in the presence of God. No, I'm talking about that daily, focused, intentional time with Jesus. And it's out of this that your calling will begin to develop. All callings are developed in His presence. If it's not developed in His presence, it's not a calling, it's a career. If it's not developed in His presence, it's not a ministry, it's a charity. If it's not developed in his presence, it's not preaching, it's just public speaking. If it's not developed in his presence, it's a club, not a movement. If it's not developed in his presence, it's entertainment, it's not power. Only that which is truly developed in his presence will make an impact eternally. Only that which is truly developed in his presence can be pleasing unto God. Only that which is developed in His presence will have longevity. Everything we do outside of that, everything we try to obtain outside of a relationship with God will eventually wither into nothing and be of no effect. So you have to be committed as a Christian to spending time. You say, well, how long? How long a day? And there again, we're back to formulas. My friend... If you are truly praying, and anyone who has a prayer life will tell you this. There are many of you sitting in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, there is that element of prayer to where you are fighting the flesh, and you're trying to pray, and your flesh is like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what's on YouTube? What's on Netflix? Did you remember to pay the bill? And there's all these different 
pools, if you will. You're being pooled every which way, right? What's happening is your flesh is dying and it's fighting you. Because it's while you're praying that your flesh becomes weaker and it doesn't want to be weak. It wants to be the dominant one. And so as you're praying, your flesh begins, well, well, they offended. Well, okay, okay, we're going to forgive them. Well, 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 I, I, I still have to worry about this bill and I have to worry about that responsibility. No, 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 we're going we're to live in faith. And so your flesh is fighting. And, and it's, it's resisting that moment in prayer. And this is why as you are praying, you feel like that squirming sensation where you're trying to get out of there. Your flesh is, is, is begging you not to kill it. Your flesh is fighting for strength. And so now, when you begin to pray, and, and you, you, uh, you may call me crazy, I don't care. I talk to my flesh like it's another person. So you're going to pray today, and I force it to pray. No, you're going to sit there and you're going to read the word. But what about read the word? Focus. Subject the flesh. Isn't that what the scripture does? Subject it. You have to be its master. Rule over it. You, you want dominion in the world. You don't even have dominion in yourself. You want dominion over demons. You don't have dominion over yourself. Subject the flesh. Put it in its place. And then what happens? Prayer warriors know this. There comes a moment where it's almost like the breaking of a dam. Where, 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 where the brush is finally cleared and there's this free flow. Uh, sometimes it comes 15 minutes in. Sometimes if you're really in the flesh, it takes like an hour to get to this place. But there comes a place in prayer where like something just breaks. And the squirming stops. And the distractions don't matter. And the cravings for entertainment die. And the thing that tempted you starts to disgust you. And then it comes to a point where you're not counting the minutes on the clock. It comes to the point where hours go by and seem like minutes. And you're not saying, how much longer do I have to pray? You're saying, how much longer can I pray? I, I don't even want to go back out. And people have to pull you. Okay, yes, you have to go to work now. You know you have children, right? You know you have a marriage. And, and that is the reverse now. Where the, where the spirit becomes stronger and, and, and it has control. And you don't even want to leave the prayer room. So you're asking me, well, how long do I have to pray? My friend, if you're counting the minutes, you're still not truly praying. If you're still obsessing about how long, well, how much of my time do I have to... You're, you're, you're still in the flesh. And so the calling begins with these simple acts. You live holy, 1 Peter 1.16. You evangelize, Mark 16.15. That's a part of the Christian life, evangelism. People talk about wanting to go overseas. You hear about missions trips. You're like, well, I'm going to do a fundraiser to go evangelize on that other continent over there and see what God does. And then we go, we, take, we hand out candy, take a bunch of selfies, and then come on back over here where we've never witnessed to a single person. Saying, I want to cross the oceans to win the world. You haven't even crossed the street <laughs> to win the world. Where, where, where is evangelism as a lifestyle? When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Now, this isn't, a, this isn't a message of condemnation. I want to challenge you because you need to know what's available for you as a Christian. What does the scripture say? In John 3, it says he convicts us of sin and of righteousness. He convicts us of sin and righteousness. So he's not just pointing out in your life saying, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. He will do that. He's also saying, this is the standard, this is the standard. He's giving you something to which you can aspire. 
He's calling you to higher places, saying, here is what can be yours in Christ. Here's who you can become in God if you will simply do what the Bible says to do. You see, we're, we're wanting the specific details. Whenever we talk about calling, we want specific details. We want some prophet to come in, point to us in front of everybody so people will be impressed, and say, you have such a special anointing. You're so deep, so spiritual. You're so discerning. You can see what no one else sees. And you're gifted in ways no one else is gifted. And we want, the flesh wants that in many instances. And sometimes we want general confirmation. That's good. But, but many times it's the flesh too. And there's nothing wrong with the prophetic ministry. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But we're asking for these specific details about our calling. We're asking for specific lists of what we need to do. When if you simply did the basics of Christian living... That next step would be very obvious. Now, God, when I was 14 years old, gave me the infrastructure of the ministry. It was a supernatural thing. It's not something I've heard of often. 14 years old, I knew what the media infrastructure would look like, the financial infrastructure, the administrative infrastructure. To this day, I don't know how it was all downloaded, and that's the best way I can word it. it, it I saw it. I saw it. That I, I knew what it would look like in terms of the actual structure. Now, that was about as far as what God gave me because he knew I needed something with the way my mind works. I have to have something. I need to know something. Work with me here. You know my frailties. Right? We want, and he, he'll work with you where you are. But he gave me pretty much nothing else. I, I knew what, I had no idea how. And that is a very important part. That's, that's, that's where the struggle is. Okay, I see what he's called me to do. I know in my heart I'm drawn to certain things. And you'll notice that your calling is often linked with your passions and desires. You're, you're drawn to a prophetic ministry. Or you're drawn to a prayer ministry. Or you're drawn to certain things. Because God placed things in you that are drawn to what he's called you to do. And so if you begin to just pray. Live holy. Evangelize. Worship, John 4, 24, worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is more than just singing. It's, a, it's your being responding to what you've seen in God. And that expression can come about in many different ways. I talked about prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Know God's word. Colossians 3, 16. Know God's word. You know that the word of God is your first line of defense? Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands because I want to make sure this is something that's encouraging to you and not just where you feel like it's impossible standards to meet. But if I were to survey the room right now, and if I were to ask how many of you pray every day, most of the hands would go up because we count things like, thank you, Lord, or help me, God. <laughs> okay, technically that's prayer. So, okay, most hands would go up. Now, if I went further and said, how many of you pray at least 20 minutes a day? Just focused, intentional time with the Lord. It would be about a third in this room. But if I were to ask you, how many of you are in the scripture daily? Sadly, I, in, in average polls, I would say it would probably be about 5 to 8% of the people in the room. Now, 
This is interesting because, again, this is the enemy's first line of defense. When Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, he mentions the reality of the fowler snatching up the seeds. Well, that, he, he gives us the plain meaning of that. It's, it's the enemy snatching up the seeds. It's, and it's also the distractions of the world choking out the seeds at its root. The word of God is your first line of defense. And once the word is removed from your life, your prayer life begins to suffer. Your evangelism begins to suffer. Holy living becomes near impossible. What does the scripture say? I have hidden thine word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hide God's word in your heart. Why? So you don't sin against them. That hiding of the word in your heart shores you up against the power of temptation. And so you become a person of the word and, and not just the Instagram quote of the day or the tweetable verse. I scrolled past the verse today. Does that count? No. Because many times you get what's called a proof text where people take a verse and cause it to mean anything they want it to mean. The word of God is not a fortune cookie. You can't pull a scripture out and say, well, to me it means this and this is the way I say. No, my friend. When the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the scripture, when holy men begin to record the oracles of heaven, the Holy Spirit gave to them intention and meaning and purpose. Every word already has a meaning. Every word already has a purpose. Every letter already has a goal. It's not there for us to project our desires and our preferences and our philosophies onto it. It's there to transform us. So not approaching the word and saying, what does this mean to me? Where do I, where do I go from here? What, what does that scripture mean to me here? And Well, to me today, no, my friend, there, 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 are, there are inspired meanings to every word. And that is what we do when we study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. We're searching the scripture saying, Lord, what is it you're speaking to me? If you're serious about hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, you'll be serious about devoting to the word. I want God to speak to me. He already has. His word. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit can speak specific instructions to our heart. We're not denying that. But the problem is, that you can so often get your mind, your emotions, and the Holy Spirit's voice all mixed up. And where do you go when you're in that place of confusion? Back to the Word. The better you know the written Word of God, the more clearly you can hear the spoken voice of the Holy Spirit as He gives you those daily instructions. And so the word becomes not just a once in a while thing. It becomes the foundation of our living. Jesus said that if you build your house on his words or on the rock, it will stand. Well, what's that mean? It means that by building your life around his teachings, what the scripture says, that you are preparing yourself for the storms. And if you don't have the word of God in your life, you're one trial away from walking away. Look, storms will come. It's not a matter of if they come. It's when they come. And you know, when storms come, <laughs> they, and many of you will relate to this too. It seems when storms come, they come in series of storms. Like, can we spread these storms out? Can I get an annual storm or something? 
But no, they, they, when storms come, it's not just the waves, it's the wind too. And not just the wind and the waves, it's also the rain and all of the dangers that come with that. Storms seem to come in series. And the problem is we, we go our whole Christian life thinking we have a solid foundation. And if we haven't put our faith in the word, if we haven't built our lives on the word, if we are not people of the word, then when those storms come, the house collapses. And so we must commit to not just here, there, once in a while, scattered readings of scripture, but Genesis... To Revelation. Genesis, you mean the Old Testament? Yes, the Old Testament. The genealogies? Yes, the genealogies. Genesis to Revelation. Genesis to Revelation. You say, well, I don't understand the purpose of some of those texts. Well, if anything, it'll teach you discipline. Genesis to Revelation. Genesis to Revelation. Genesis to Revelation. Everything. You consume it. And then a clear picture begins to develop in your mind and you see God's plan of salvation coming in through the Jewish people, then to the Gentile, and everything starts to come together. The threads are all evenly tied and you begin to see greater and greater depth of revelation as you begin to pour over the scriptures and then you correct things you thought were right. And then you see, oh, you know what? Actually, I didn't get that verse right. Actually, I wasn't correct in my understanding of that. Actually, that wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was. And each time you go through the word, you become more familiar with it. And each time you become more familiar with it, it actually yields itself to an easier read. Because you're not trying to connect so many dots. You have a background. And we commit to the word. We become people of the word. We become established in our faith. So here's what I want to challenge you to commit to this morning. And this isn't the altar call. I feel like Ron Simpkins. Here's what we're going to do. First altar call. <laughs> I love Uncle Ron. <laughs> I love how he always uses the word hassle. The hassle that is. It's one of his. Anyway, if you don't know Uncle Ron, I'm sorry. Those of you watching going, what is he talking about? They just had a guest speaker Wednesday, and it's kind of an inside joke. Anyway, so... So here's a challenge I want to give to you. And many of you are already doing this. So that's good. So, so, so let's not be like, Pharisees. well, I already do that, so I'm good. Okay. This is just a challenge we're laying out there, okay? I want to challenge you to, on a daily basis, and this is just the beginning point. So don't get all religious on me. Say, Brother David, they should be doing more than that. No, let's, let's just start somewhere. I want you to do 15 minutes every morning in prayer. And if you break up that time of prayer, five minutes of worship, five minutes of intercession, five minutes of praying in tongues, it'll go by like that. It's just a start, because there's more to prayer than that, but it's just a good start. 15 minutes a day. And then I want you to commit to reading at least one chapter of the Bible or, or getting something from it. Now, it's more important that you get something from it. I'm not necessarily against Bible reading plans, but I could take five years to go through Genesis. I could take 20 years to go through the whole Bible. See, if we're just rushing and we're just going by to read the words, we just, I did it, it's a task, it's done. I did my Christian obligation. No. You read the word 
to, to commune with God, you read the word to hear from him. Receive something from it. So you read until you get something. And you stop if you don't understand it and you study that verse. And if you stay on verse Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 for the whole week, then so be it. You're going to get something from it. And you move through it. I, I, I tell people, I like, you know, sometimes when we're on the road, I'm just I'm going to confess something right here right now. And I'm going to kind of put Stephen Ishmael on blast too. When we're on the road, we do eat like McDonald's sometimes. Or, or you know, a fast food restaurant. And we, we went the other day and we were like all giddy, like kids were like, I can't believe we're doing this. And we get inside the restaurant. We sat inside next to the play place looking at the slide. Like we're actually inside the restaurant. It was like a big deal for us. I was actually kind of nervous doing it. But anyway, and sometimes you just, that food, you just eat, you get on the road, right, Ruben? You eat the food, you get on the road. But then there are times you go to a fine dining experience. You sit down. You're not going to just devour that. You're going to take your time. You're going to savor those flavors. And I'm glad you're not fasting because I can still have your attention here. But, you know, you, you, you savor the flavors. You take your time. You, you enjoy that meal. Many people consume God's word like it's fast food. Got it, done. Thing, it, the thing told me read a chapter and a half. Read it, but you didn't digest any of it. You, 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 you got nothing out of it. Well, I read the word every day. Yeah, but, 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 but are you actually receiving the scripture in a way that will transform your life? And this is the difference between performance and actual connection with God. So the, so the challenge to you is at least a chapter or get something, one of the two. So if you're not getting anything out of it, keep reading until you do, and do that for at least a chapter. And then the next day, read the next chapter. And the next day, until there's something that stops you and you receive something from it. Now, this isn't necessarily the most refined Bible study method. But if you're not reading it at all, it's a good start. It should last you for a couple of months. And then what's going to happen is this. And then I'll finish this up and we'll pray. What's going to happen is this. You start reading the word like that. And, and you begin to develop an appetite for the word. Pastor Rob knows this with his students. When you teach your students theology... And, and I like to say theology is like, it, people think, oh, it's just, you know, head knowledge. No, no, revelation is knowledge set on fire. It's, it's, it's life-giving. And so, so you're, you're, Jesus said the words I speak, they're, they're, they're not just words, they're spirit and life. They're the substance of who he is. And so, so you begin to read the word like that, and you're going to notice there's this hunger that begins to develop in you for the word. And you know what you'll begin doing? You'll begin to, like even as I sleep, sometimes, there are times I'll wake up at one o'clock, take some more notes, go back to sleep, wake up at three, take some more, because it's just, I can't get over it. My mind is just so consumed by the word. I, I, I want to understand it and know it. And why? Because I'm, I'm knowing him through the scripture by the Holy Spirit. And, and there'll be times where, where you're going to, you will rush home not to put on your favorite Netflix series, you will rush home because I have to get to the bottom of what Romans 8 was talking about. What was he talking about? You, you go, you're reading commentaries in scripture and, and it begins to, to fill you with life in such a way where, where you begin to hunger for it.
And you will notice the cravings for the things of the world getting weaker and the cravings for the things of the Spirit getting stronger. So know God's Word. Demonstrate love. We didn't have time to go into that. Luke 10, 27. Serve in the church. 1 Peter 4, 10. I'll say this real briefly. People who don't have a church will often try to spiritually excuse their lack of commitment. The Bible makes it clear that God intended for us to live out our faith in the context of community. And often people will treat the church like it's contaminating them spiritually. And that's just a form of ego and pride. And they'll say things like, well, I'm the remnant. No, if you're not in the church, you're not the remnant. You're the rebellious and you need to get in church. You need to get into church. You say, I am the church. No, my friend. Only in the context of our togetherness does the Bible label us as the church. That's a whole different sermon for a whole different time. Didn't have time to get into it. But these are things you do. And they change who you become. And as you're transformed in who you are, your calling becomes clear. Listen to me. You become like Jesus, and it will be impossible to miss your calling. Impossible. Lord, help us become it. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.